Matthew chapter 25 this morning. We're shutting the door on our doors series. You know what they say, that one door doesn't close without another door opening. This is a very powerful word picture that Jesus is using. Obviously, Jesus, the master teacher, is able to say many things, perfect things, and very few words. There are some things, though, even though he said them in, in that culture and that time, of course they have application for us today, but it's important that we also understand the culture in which Jesus was speaking some of these words uh, so we might be able to have a more fitting understanding, a more well-rounded understanding of what Jesus was communicating to his uh, disciples and to those who were listening to him. We have seen throughout this series, we started off with doors of opportunity, understanding what a real opportunity looks like. Then we went into the second sermon called uh, Opportunities versus Obstacles. Anytime there is an opportunity, there are always going to be obstacles that stand in the way. The third one was the anatomy of an opportunity. We went back and looked at Nehemiah and saw how he uh, stepped into an opportunity and what made that possible. And this morning I want to end this series with a, a message entitled, The Need for Preparation. The Need for Preparation as it relates to opportunities. And in Matthew chapter 25, very, very powerful story. It says in verse 1, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins, or maidens, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept, and at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go to those, rather, who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went with him into the wedding and the door was shut and afterward the other virgins came also saying lord lord open to us but he answered and said i surely i say to you i do not know you watch therefore for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the son of man is coming man powerful powerful story Throughout this series, I think that there's probably there's been really an emphasis laid, um, intentionally or unintentionally, the emphasis has really been laid on the opportunities that we don't know are coming. Uh, to prepare ourselves now for doors that could open um, down the road, and, and whenever those opportunities present themselves, to also be aware of the obstacles. It seems like it is laid heavy on the obstacle or the opportunities that we never saw coming. We, we know they're probably going to happen at some point, but we don't know for sure. Those unexpected, unplanned for opportunities. And though that is all good for us to be prepared for the unplanned opportunities that present themselves, we also have to be uh, reminded oftentimes that there are certainties in the life of the Christian. There are certainties in the life of everyone. Whether you are a Christian or not, 
the Bible makes it very clear that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us, sinner and saints alike, all have a place and a date with God before his throne. And that's a certainty. That is an absolute certainty. We don't know when that date is going to happen. It's not like it's a, a date on our calendar and we can have a countdown to it. In fact, even in these, in these two chapters, Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says, no man knows the hour or the day of the coming of the Son of Man. No one. But what we do know is that he is coming. What we do know is that we all have a date with God. There is a judgment day. And I want you to think about this for a moment. If we have been really focusing on making sure that we are prepared for the opportunities that could come, how much more should we be prepared for the opportunities that we know are going to come? The ones that aren't just a might or a maybe or a could, the one that will. And Jesus tells this striking story. I mean, this is, this is serious stuff. He tells this story in 13 verses to outline for us the importance of being ready and prepared, the importance of taking into consideration the, what is going to happen and planning for it. I want you to consider something about this story that may not make sense to us. All this talk of, of virgins and, and, and maidens and, and this talk of there being tin and their lamps and, and all of that, it, it may seem a little confusing to you. So let me just put this in the context in which Jesus was, was speaking it. The Jewish wedding really consisted of three different parts, three different seasons, really. The first was the engagement. Now, we would most generally think of the engagement as when the guy uh, finds that most romantic place, you know, the great, the great place for dinner or the place where they first met. You, you've, you've got Pinterest. You know what I'm talking about. They find that perfect spot, right? And they kneel down on one knee. The man does, and he has a ring, and he says some sappy stuff about how much she means to him and, and all of that. And, and oftentimes, if they're Christian, they'll sprinkle God in there on occasion and how God has brought you into my life. And then they'll say, will you marry me? And most of the time, the woman says yes. And we consider that the beginning of the engagement. At that point, you are engaged to be married. Now, the engagement can last, you know, months, weeks, I guess, on the, on the, on the short end. It can be as much as a year or two. It, it depends, really, how long it takes you to plan and prepare. But then you've got the wedding. Right, you've got, you've got really one day, and then you get shipped off, you drive off, or you fly off, or you go on a cruise somewhere else for about seven days honeymoon. Th that's how we do it. The Jews did it differently. Still today, in some parts, the same practice is followed. The engagement was not some guy going over, kneeling down, bending in front of his woman and saying, would you marry me? The engagement most generally was taken care of by the parents. The arranged marriage, friends. Okay? It's what, what Bree and I have joked about oftentimes with the kids in the, in the nursery department with our kids. We, we try to set them up, right? <laughs> We've tried to work out these backroom deals just, you know, hey, I don't know what your daughter's going to be doing in about eight years, but, you know, is there any way we could arrange some kind of just get-together for Hawkins? And don't you dare tell him I said that. <laughs> don't you dare. I would like to think some of you have been had your eyes on my kids. <laughs> I'd like to think it's not all one way. So 
The engagement were the parents. They would find a suitable mate, and they would kind of arrange him. Now, now don't get me wrong. Uh, this wasn't even often done under the, uh, with, the, with the blessing of the, the children. They didn't always know about it. The parents knew about it. You know, they'd meet each other in the market and wink, you know, special handshake, pass notes back and forth. That was the engagement. And, and that could go on for years and years. But then once the engagement was over, it moved into this next series where they were betrothed to one another. You may remember that word when you hear the Christmas story about Mary being betrothed to Joseph. And, and that really meant, that was about a, a year-long uh, time. It was legally binding. They were as good as considered married. For instance, if the, if the husband or the man that she was betrothed to would die, she would be considered a widow. I mean, it was literally that legally binding. But it would last one year, and at the end of that year, as the man had been preparing a home for his bride, had been going back and making sure everything was just right, at some point, this is important. At some point, at the end of that time of betrothal, the husband would come back and he would gather his bride. He would come back in dramatic fashion. It would be a parade coming down the city streets with all of this wedding party together. They would grab the bride and they would rush off to the home and there they would begin seven days of celebration. Seven days of wedding celebration. Don't get me wrong, if you want to look into it, there's some really cool things and there's some really weird things about what went on during that seven days. But it was a seven-day wedding party in which the bride and groom were treated like royalty. They were at a nonstop party and feast. And what Jesus is talking about in this story is at the end of that time where they have been betrothed and now the groom is coming to get his bride. He is walking, he is coming with all of the wedding party or gathering the wedding party to go get his bride and then go off behind locked doors to the wedding party, to the wedding feast. And Jesus introduces, as he always does, he, he always seems to, in his masterful teaching, place two different people starting out in very similar places where you look at him and you think, okay, this the wheat and the tares, for instance. They come out and they look so much alike. They're in the same location. They, they, they resemble one another. And yet, as he begins to tell the story, he begins to separate them and show that the wheat is not like the tares. And here he places ten virgins or ten bridesmaids, if you, want to, if you want to look at it like that. Ten of them. They're waiting all night because they know that the bridegroom is going to come. They just don't know exactly when. They know relatively this little window, but they're not exactly sure on the exact moment that he's going to come. So they're waiting. Now guys, this is a big deal. They have been asked to be a part of the wedding party. The Jews did this so right because they knew that marriage was so important to the heart of God. They knew that that was one of the very first things God did after he created the world and he saw that it was not good that man should be alone. He made for him a helpmate and there under the arbor of Eden, he joined those two together in holy matrimony and the Jews took that very seriously. So when you were asked to be a part of the wedding party, that was a very big deal. That was a high honor. And these ten are either in their home, maybe in the yard, depending on the season. They are waiting for that cry, saying the bridegroom comes. Let's go. Friends, let me tell you, we don't need a whole lot of, we don't need a whole lot of imagination to see this picture that the New Testament makes, that we as a church are his bride, that he is soon coming back for us. He said that he would come back and, and, and gather us to himself. 
We refer to that as the rapture. Friends, there is coming a day. The next blip, the next spot on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church by Jesus Christ. At some point, we will hear that trumpet. And we will be caught up together with him. All born again believers will be caught up together with him to be with the Lord, to meet him in the air. That's a promise. That's the next stop on the prophetic calendar. Could happen at any moment. In fact, how ironic would that be if while preaching on the ten wise or the five wise and five foolish, there would come the rapture? We don't know. Only Jesus knows. Here, three things. First, this was an important day that was coming. Very important day. These bridesmaids have been tapped to be a part of this, and they don't want to dishonor the one who's asked them to serve. You see, their job, according to this story, was to hold the torch. You see, the bridegroom was coming at night with all of his men, all of his entourage. He's coming at night, and he needed those ladies to bear the torch so that they could see where they're going to light the way as that groom would go and find his bride. So that nobody would trip on anything in the road, so that they would all be able to stay together and go to pick up the bride. This was huge. That was what they did outside of the door. Inside the door, they would be able to take part in all of the festivities of this wedding celebration. And this important day that's coming, I reminded you, each one of us, each one of us has a day with God. We don't know when that day is going to come. We don't know if it will be the rapture, which we all get caught up together. I know that's where most people want to meet God. But the truth is, there's also coming a day um, where I could die. You know, if you think about it. Not to be not to be Molly morbid this morning or anything, but. The truth is, every one of us is just a heartbeat away from standing before God. Every one of us is but one breath away from standing before a holy, righteous God. I look at this story and I reminded that there was some important tasks for these bridesmaids. Isn't it funny? When Paul is talking about that day that we stand before the Lord, he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men in 2 Corinthians 5. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You know what he's saying? He's saying that's such an important date. That is such a huge thing. That I want to stand before God and give an account. He's saying we persuade men. Knowing that, being convinced of that fact that we all have a date with God, sinner and saint alike. He said, we go out and we tell men. We preach that. We persuade them. Do not enter into eternity. Don't enter into the presence of God unprepared. You know what's ironic is that we are willing to invest in the things that we believe are important. We're making judgment calls all the time in our life. We're making judgment calls all the time in our family. We're making judgment calls all the time in our finances. If we believe this is important, we are going to put resources towards it. You know, when I think about it, there are many important dates in my life, but there is no greater important date than that date that I stand before God. And it is such a big date. I ought to be well prepared, don't you think? Do you think? 
If that date is really that important, if I want to be able to stand before God with a clean conscience, if I want to stand before God, no doubt it is going to be an awesome sight. But let me, let me just say this. Let me interject this for a moment. For those of you that are born-again believers, that have no doubt of your salvation, the good news is when you stand before God, your sin will never come up. That's a promise. If you are a born-again believer, your sin will never come up because it was dealt with completely and totally on the cross of Calvary. But we still will give an account of the things done in our body, whether good or bad. What do I mean? What does the Bible mean by that? It means this, that if I'm a born-again believer but have been living life for myself and I stand before God and I have wasted and squandered the resources and the opportunities to advance His name and to magnify His calling, you know what that does? That means I lose rewards for the believer. Can you imagine standing before God? One of the, one of the most amazing pictures I can think of is what we find throughout Paul's letters, but also in the book of Revelation, that God will give us a crown, any kind of crown, to place on our head as a reward. Now guys, can you think of anything more incredible than that? That God, that God would reward you and I for something he told us to do, showed us how to do, and gave us the ability to do in the first place. That's just like God, isn't it? For a believer, we stand before God. You say, well, my sin won't come up. Why should I tremble? Man, I want to give an account. Not just of him as Savior. That's taken care of, but him as Lord. How did I honor you? in this life how did i make much of you with what you've given me and for the for the unbeliever i can't even imagine i cannot even imagine what that moment would be like when you were literally drawn into the courtroom the divine courtroom and you must give an account of your sin before a holy god before the one that the bible says that they hid their face from heaven and earth have fled from that you would stand before him and give an account is almost too much to bear it's almost too much to think about it's almost too much to consider and as a believer i'm thankful that i won't ever have to experience that but our hearts should be somewhat burdened and broken shouldn't they for those who have yet to hear the gospel for those who have yet to receive the gospel to know that they're headed down a road in which God sits on a throne. There is an important day coming. Do, do our decisions and resources show the significance and the importance of that day? Are we living today as though we are ready for that day and that moment? Second thing, we must be prepared. Here's where the story gets different. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. Then the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Here's that separation, here's that blessed separation where Jesus takes those things that are similar in the beginning and then shows how they are different. And this is what happens when the bridegroom comes. When the shout is echoed throughout all of the town, the groom is coming, let's go. They all wake up. There's no understanding in here that their sleeping was ever a sinful type of sleep. 
They had just drawn on, the day had drawn on, the opportunity had drawn on, they had grown weary. It is perfectly normal. There is no rebuke in here because even the wise and the foolish were sleeping. But when they awake, when the moment for action comes, when they are called on, the difference is made clear. Five of them say, we can't light our lamps, we have no oil. And five of them trim their lamps right away. They're ready to go. You see, five were unprepared. Oil in Scripture is represented in anointing. It's represented in being set apart. It's represented as joy. It's represented as fellowship. It's represented even in this usage of a light, a fuel for light. Folks, you can look at this story and easily see the picture that Jesus is painting. Five of those bridesmaids were saved and five were lost. And the five lost turn to the five that are wise. Say, give us some of your oil. We've got to have it. We weren't prepared. We've been found lacking. The moment is here. The day is upon us. And now we're not ready. We're not prepared. Give us, please, some of your oil. Do you sense in this story that they are begging for the oil and the wise will not give the oil because this moment is so big? Because this is such of supreme importance to that season, to that, that culture, those people. It was so important that you don't mess this up. And yet the five are begging, give us some oil. Friends, let me tell you something. One of the important things in regards to spiritual preparation is this. You will not survive long on somebody else's spiritual resources. You will not survive long on someone else's spiritual resources. There's some of us that we go through things, we have bad moments happen in our life, and we don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn in the Bible. We don't know what verses we need. So what do we do? We call a friend. Friend, can you give me some direction and some pointers into the Word of God? Now, don't get me wrong. There should always be an event. You should always have someone in your contact list that you can call to that you can reach out to when you have a question and you need help and you need guidance. But please understand what I'm saying. I think there's, there's an attitude often that we don't have to take personal responsibility for our own spiritual resources because someone else is going to help me. All I have to do is call my pastor or talk to my Sunday school teacher. Or call my accountability partner, and they'll tell me what to read, and they'll tell me where to go. What happens that moment when an action needs to be taken, and you rise up, and you trim your lamp, and it doesn't light, and you call, and you can't get a word from your accountability partner. You can't get a hold of your pastor. You can't get a hold of your deacon. What are you going to do? Friends, don't put your spiritual resources in the hand of somebody else. You will not survive long trusting in the resources of somebody else. We are often, many of us, are guilty of living off of the spiritual generation's equity from before us. We are, we are a part of a legacy that is shrinking and becoming weaker because we're trying to live off of someone else's resources. Use this moment now. 
Use our time today. I read a story of a, of a woman named Mary. She was about to die. Wonderful Christian woman. She was about to die. And as the chaplain came in to talk to her, he was going to read scripture to her. He was going, he knew she was a Christian. He knew she would want to read scripture. And he was reading scriptures about eternity. And she turned to him and she said, friend, I have prepared for this moment before this day. I have prepared for this moment before this day. Don't trust your spiritual resources to someone else. It's okay to have people lined up, but to prepare, take personal responsibility. They go to those ladies and they will not get rid of it. We cannot survive long on the spiritual reserves of others or the previous generation's spiritual equity. I want you to think about this for a moment. The third thing. Why? Why be prepared? Because the consequences are too great. The consequences too great. Now I'm going to tell you, I have to believe contained in our text this morning is probably the saddest phrase I believe ever said in the Bible. That phrase that has got to be the saddest is on par with the rich man in hell in the Gospel of Luke. When he realized he was not going anywhere and he turned to Abraham and he said, send him to my brothers, lest they also come to this place of torment. That's sad. But this. Verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he said, he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. I want you to think of why those are just such sobering words that the door was shut. You know that that door was shut. Not because bridegroom didn't love him bridegroom didn't care it was because there were standards there was a function that they were to accomplish friends they were not allowed in not because the bridegroom was bad but because they were unprepared the rules were laid out ahead of time they were working under the knowledge of what was expected of them, and they were the ones that were found lacking. They were not allowed in because of what they didn't have. They didn't have it because they were not prepared, and they were foolish. The door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us those whales, those cries. He answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. It's funny, isn't it? That not having enough oil in their lamp ten days earlier would have been a small problem. 
wouldn't have been a big deal 10 days before. But at that moment, not having oil in their lamp, huge. Huge. Isn't it funny the things that we think sometimes in our life that are small? You know, there are times in our life we can think, well, I've met these people. I've talked to these people. Yeah, I, kn- I know I need to get my life right with God. Yeah, I n- I've heard about being saved. I know I need to, need to look into that. And putting it off as though it's a small deal. But then one day, as they put it off and put it off and continue to put it off, become more comfortable in putting it off, what they found. I believe throughout history, there have been many that have found that they squandered their opportunity and the door was shut. Lord, Lord, please open to us. I don't know you. I don't know you. They were called bridesmaids because they served a purpose in a wedding. When they're not a part of the wedding, they cease to be bridesmaids, right? They're not bridesmaids if they're not in the wedding party, right? That's right, isn't it? They may be dressed like bridesmaids. They may look like bridesmaids. They may have all of the, the description of a bridesmaids, but if they're not in the house, they're not a bridesmaid. If they're not a part of the wedding, they're not a bridesmaid. Let me tell you something, guys. From the outside, when you looked at them, they would have all looked the same. When they were sleeping, they would have slept the same. As they were dressed, they would have been dressed the same. The only thing that changed was when the moment of action came. When the bridegroom said, I'm here, let's go, they rose, they lit their lamps, and half of them lit, and half of them didn't. At the moment of action, at that fraction of a second, the blinking, twinkling of an eye, the blinking of an eye, literally, at that moment, that's when you were able to distinguish the difference. I believe there are people in our churches that on the outset they look You look like a Christian. You talk like a Christian. You're where Christians go. You sleep like a Christian. But I believe there will come a day. And it will happen in the blink of an eye. There will be a call to action. And at that moment, there will be a great difference made. There will be those that will be let in. To the wedding feast and those not. And those standing outside will say, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he will say, I do not know you. Friends, let me ask you a question. Right here. Right here. Not who I think you to be. Not who your wife thinks you to be. Not who your husband thinks you to be. Not who your children think you to be. But right here, just between you and God, I want to ask you a very important question. Are you ready to stand before him right now? A lot of times, 
It can talk about salvation and baptism and rededication and church membership. And it can get so chaotic that you don't even know what you're coming forward for. Let's make it simple. Are you 